Welcome to episode four of the In the Name of Service podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Here, we broadcast stories of men and women who've answered the call to serve in hopes of inspiring and catalyzing the rest of us to follow suit in our own way. Today's interview is with Eric Ballister. Eric is a husband, father, and recently retired Air Force Special Operations veteran with 10 combat deployments. Currently, he owns a small business optimizing processes and reducing expenses for business owners, stays extremely active with competitions like American Ninja Warrior, and serves as a board member and treasurer for the Shields and Stripes nonprofit organization on a mission to provide innovative, holistic care to veterans and first responders. Eric is bright, charismatic, humble, hilarious, and extremely driven. You'll appreciate the approach he takes to service and how honest he is about how it changed over time. If you've ever found yourself in a place you didn't choose or like, you'll connect with Eric's story and may even learn a new perspective. During this conversation, Eric highlights the importance of brotherhood. In other words, a real, genuine concern for others. He describes how at a low point during his service in special operations, service showed up. It wasn't what he was expecting or going after at that time, but it was there. He recognized it and it pivoted everything for him. If you'd like to connect with Eric to talk mission or business, I recommend following him on LinkedIn and checking out the show notes. I've included several important links for more information about Shields and Stripes, as well as the two Army Delta Force operators who inspired Eric and gave their lives during the Battle of Mogadishu in Somalia on October 3rd, 1993, Randy Shugart and Gary Gordon. I hope this conversation compels you to action in the work before you today. Thank you for listening. Well, I appreciate you being here with us today. If you could just take a few minutes and tell us all about yourself. Barb, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm Eric Ballister. I am an old coworker of Barb's. I served with her as a operational uh, part of the organization. I was a combat controller for a majority of my career. I retired in March of 2020 after 20 years of service. And I loved what I did. It was an incredible time for me ser- serving my country, but there are some highlights that I took out from it that I keep with me that kind of have set me on my new path and where I'm currently directing my energy towards. And I'm fortunate to be able to find something that gives me that rewarding feeling that my military service gave me, but my time in the service was, I, I did a combat job, so I got a chance to do my job on 10 combat deployments, and during those deployments, I worked with some of the most exceptional people, and that, to me, seems like it's a blessing that I don't think a lot of people get, so it kind of set me up to, to 
try to replicate that immediately once I left. But obviously, I've learned a lot and, you know, setting this expectation on this next season of my life to mirror exactly what I just came from is probably not the smartest idea. You might be searching for a long time. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm currently living in Arizona. I relocated from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, my last duty station, picked the family up and moved back home to my home of record, Arizona, where my wife and I currently reside and my son too. I have a 21 year old son named Eric as well. Well, you you don't just end up in places like you ended up in the military. Could you take us through just what initially led you to serve? So you're growing up in Arizona and then what? Yeah. Yeah, Arizona, I call it my stomping grounds, but I was born in New York uh, and I spent you know, the early childhood days. But anytime I bring up New York to anybody, they start hammering out questions and I don't have anything to really talk about with them. So I don't even say it anymore. Arizona is my stomping ground. There you go. So, yeah, I, I originally uh, grew up early childhood, very formative years in Arizona and I think the first time that service popped out to me was playing with some GI Joes. That right there let me know that it was it was on my path. And I remember one of the GI Joes was the coolest one ever. Tunnel Rat was like this little this little bash GI Joe guy who was from Brooklyn, and he just had this. He's like a funny dude. He's a cocky, funny guy, but he's good natured too. And he's a he's a really small guy, but he's he was great at obstacle courses. So it's funny that now I There's look just back. Nothing in common. <laughs> nothing at all. Yeah. So um, I call myself an average size guy, but I, compared to some of the people I served with, I. I was dwarfed by them, but I was, uh, I did, I did bring another aspect, my personality and my charisma onto teams that I, I had a, a inability to meet, you know, the, the size of some of these people with, with that, that sort of presence that I brought on the team. I, I think that was an attribute that I had that ended up helping me, you know, blend into some of the teams and not only blend in, but then be a, uh, a high performer. So it started with GI Joes and then it kind of morphed into, you know, me growing up and seeing formative people in my life, family members, all my family served. My grand, my grandfather served during the Korean War in the army and my father served in the Marine Corps in the seventies and my brother served in the Marine Corps also. He did 20 years in the Marine Corps. So service was in my family yeah. and naturally, it was something that I was gonna come to the point where I, I made a decision. My brother kind of helped me make that decision because he chose to join a year before I did, so it really lined me up. But I recognized also that I was looking for a profession with a warrior ethos mm -hmm. because my family instilled that in me, specifically my uncle. He instilled that warrior ethos in me and then he also instilled a desire to serve he was he served the family he was the patriarchal role in our family and never said no and gave his back and his body and his youth to serving our family so I recognized right there that there was honor in that and there was honor in 
trying to be like him, and he was a national state champion wrestler. He's just a hard as nails. <laughs> yeah, among other things. Yeah. So, so he had a big influence on on who I ended up becoming in my junior high and high school years, and then I wrestled too. And I think again the the act to serve was just reinforced, and the warrior ethos wasn't was reinforced through wrestling because the team even though it's an individual sport the team is still supporting each other and there's a ton of ton of support that helps you perform but you still got to be on your shit you got to be you got to be ready to to be really really violent uh, for the team so there was something there that supported it so it naturally pushed me to make the decision right after I graduated high school. I joined in 1999 and chose the Air Force because my brother chose the Marine Corps, so I couldn't <laughs> naturally choose the Marine Corps. <laughs> but I chose the Air Force is, is kind of helping me, you know, work through that, work through that call to serve that was, it was powerful. You mentioned in your introduction, you know, the 10 combat deployments, and since I know kind of where your career ended i know you had many hurdles beyond or i guess just different than than those deployments as well so can you talk a little bit about you know with service typically there's some type of sacrifice what what have those sacrifices looked like in in your own life and your family's life yeah my service meant certain things at certain points in my career and i'll tell you what i thought service was when i first joined the military and and what i understand service to be now oh i would love you there, to do that yeah there there are a very very uh, opposing points of view and just a completely different motivation for wanting to serve but the sacrifice was something that i'm recognizing now that I'm out of the military, I, I recognize all the sacrifice that I've had to make, and I and I never recognized that while I, I I didn't recognize it when I was in. I only saw sacrifice as being a very particular thing, and that's losing your life on the battlefield. Right. And that was very important to me in the early part of my career was understanding the sacrifices come from the people that fell in the battlefield, and it ended up driving. A lot of my way that I showed up while serving was a way to honor what their sacrifice was. So mm-hmm. initially, my service was to support and defend my country against enemies foreign and domestic, to do what my brother was doing and my dad did, my grandfather did. But it slowly transitioned within the first year of learning the stories about some of these that went before me and understanding the sacrifice that they had that they had given for our country and then wanting to honor them. So there were some pretty influential people in my life early in my career that I modeled my service off of to say the way that I'm going to choose to show up and my impact that I have during my service is an honor to these individuals. And it's, you know, Randy Shugar and Gary Gordon are ones that stood out to me early in my career. And those are two army service members that lost their lives in Somalia yeah. in 1993 from uh, Black Hawk Down. And, you know, I, I had their citations and their pictures framed at my desk early in my career. And there was something that I didn't fully understand, but I definitely respected it. And there mm-hmm. was something driving me towards being put in a position where I either can serve with people like that or that I was 
being put in a challenging position to be of service the way that they were. And I really idolized everything about them. I, I figured out the depths of that as I slowly transitioned through my career, but yeah. it drove me. It drove me to want to get to that level where what I was doing, the impact that I was having on the people, on the mission, on national policies, I want, I was chasing that. That's something that was deep rooted, a driver for me. And it ended up being a majority of my service also. Right. What do you think has been the most meaningful situation, period of time or role in your, we'll talk military service. I know we'll, later we'll talk about kind of what you're up to these days, but. Yeah, I would, the most meaningful thing prior to me joining the service was my brother joined in the service, like making it real, being a driver for me to enter the service. And before that, I think there's some things, contributing factors that led me to to make that decision that ended up being some traumatic experiences yeah. in my life of, yeah, I grew up in a rough, I would, I would call it a rough early childhood where I grew up in a single family house and my mother was armed with her own traumas that she carried into her being a parent, and that affected me as a child and ended up creating all sorts of you know, attachment and security issues that ended up showing up in my service as some pretty incredible strengths. Right. But it's, it's also something that created this innate desire to survive into the, the resiliency piece, I think, was formed there so i would call that the more impactful side of my service yeah and definitely the piece that i was able to once i could harness and it was directed in something that was productive it ended up showing up <laughs> in a really beneficial way and then i was able to I, and now i recognize that i was able to make it as long as i did in the capacity that i served as an primarily all operations until my last right. three years right. where I was pulled off a team and asked to be an instructor. I did not like that. <laughs> that was, That's that a, was a very, I met you in person, you know, I, Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you had to, for, I know for people that don't know our relationship is that you were the person that kind of had to deal with the apt, aftermath of that, of losing the identity and losing the purpose and being taken away from something that you worked so hard for. Oh, yeah. And you know, you were Not by you got choice. the raw Yeah, you got the raw unedited version of that to help me process a new type of service that was, you know, voluntold to do. So prior to me going into the service, it was definitely my brother saying, Hey, I'm going in and then it was my mom helping with early childhood stuff and then my mom assisted also with like hey if you're not gonna if you're not working or you're not going to school you got to get the f out so there was also a driver there to say you you need to figure it out outside of my house you have choices just none here <laughs> you're you're you don't have to go home or you don't have to stay home. <laughs> you you definitely can't stay here. You, you could go wherever you want, just you can't stay here. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good mom. Yeah, it helped. It definitely helped. 
Was there any point in time, I mean, you were very busy. Was there any point in time, you know, during your military career where you thought that it was a poor investment? Yeah, I definitely thought when the decision was made for me to be removed from operational status, Mm -hmm. I thought right there that this is no longer, I'm no longer driving my impact. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm no longer the driver of the impact that I have during my service. There's somebody else driving it mm-hmm. right, wrong, or indifferent. I am no longer in control of it. So this idea of just this continuation of military service right there was defined for me to say, this is no, nothing more than 20 years. And when that decision was made, I decided to start my process of figuring out what is next for me. And it definitely isn't serving on the teams as an operational guy. And it was like the forcing mechanism to to really start doing that deep reflective work, which led into healing and it led into a realignment and a pivot. And then, and then finally put me in the position that I am now where I'm benefiting from the same positivities that I had while serving at, mm. on my high and my high points but it it definitely took that somebody pushing me to go outside my comfort zone and say hey I know you liked blowing shit up and hanging out with some really cool guys and doing missions in places that people don't know that we're over there I I wouldn't have made that decision myself right to remove to remove myself from that and, and change how I served my country yeah how can you speak practically about being in a position where you you felt a lack of control but still a strong desire to contribute in some way how did you change that like how did you turn that around cuz you did like you were uh, amazing as an instructor. Thank you for saying that. And somebody had alluded to the fact that I got pulled off of a team leader, a team leader position at the command that I served at within the Joint Special Operations Command. To me, is the most coveted position, and 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 I've heard that as well from other guys. That's your team time, and not only team time, but you're a team leader, so you're driving a lot of things at the tactical level for yourself and for the people that are directly under you, which end up being 10 times more talented than I was. But I got really good at that position and I was, I got an award for the best senior NCO combat controller of the year, the year before I got pulled off the team. So I had some sort of validation that I was doing something really effective, highly effective, and then I get yanked off, and I couldn't see the forest through the trees, and and it was validated throughout the process to say we are we are being deliberate about who we're putting on the teams to start mentoring some of these new people coming on, and that helped me. But it, it, I'll tell you, there was like a six month time frame where I was just a grumpy little whiny (laughs) brat, (laughs) just sulking and telling the senior enlisted you know, of the operational squadron that I did not want to leave. I did not want to be an instructor and it was stupid why they were pulling me off of there. But I'll tell you, it changed for me. There was something really, really important that happened and it ended up being one of the highlights of my career was one of the people that I was supervising as a instructor was an administrative person, administrative cadre member, an administrative part of 
operator training course was where I was a, a instructor at, and I was supervising our administrative training guy, and I had an opportunity to be of service to him. Hmm. And that was the defining moment for me where it stayed locked in my brain and in my spirit that service is unquestionable to me, but then service ended up being, I ended up serving in a different way where the person that I was supervising had just experienced a loss in our in our community. There was somebody that took their own life and it hit him really, really hard. Yeah. And I saw he was struggling with it when I was giving him professional feedback and I had the ability to empathize and I and I don't I, I did not have that ability for years I <laughs> became a fractured person and like after 2012 I was fractured I had no access to right. empathy or to anything other than it was anger fun- or rage functional for you but it was functional yeah. it was survival for me but I could access that and I ended up counseling him and being there as a mentor and being there as a supervisor and gave him some counsel that ended up, you know, to, to tell him, yeah, you're allowed to to not be okay with this. And you also have some tr- tremendous people within our organization that can help you out. So I opened up his, I, I opened up the capability or potential, the potential for him to go seek counsel and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And he came back later on a couple months down the road and he, he thanked me for it. And he, and he said that changed a lot for me and that helped me through some something that I did not have the power to work through myself. So wow. that was a defining moment for me where I said, I can be really good at this. Mm-hmm. I can serve in another way. And I had a senior enlisted also that was the senior enlisted of the training course mm-hmm. who also told me the same thing. But I was in my poopy pants, pouty boy (laughs) (laughs) phase Yeah, where I told him, okay, whatever, you're just, that's horse You're just saying that so you can get me to be a contributing part of the team. I said, you don't have to do that. I'm going to do my job and I'll do work hard at it. I'm going to, I'm going to put effort into it. You don't have to sit here and tell me the impact, the strategic impact that I'm going to have and how much greater it's going to be. I'm like, whatever. Okay. Are we done? Can I go back to being an instructor now? (laughs) But that was, that was the defining moment where I recognized service shows up in a different way. And it was the thing that helped me when I got out of the military say that this is a way to serve. You right. can serve man, you can serve your brother, you can serve somebody who's important to you, who's hurting that there's something you can do that helped me move into that space and not necessarily getting shot at or Right, I was gonna deploying. say, you know what I love about that story is like nobody trained you to serve in that capacity yeah. and you found it just because it was there you know so no special training required for that yeah i call it luck but i i also don't think anything that was presented to me in in a way for me to be present to do something about it i don't think that that's happenstance and i do think that that's guided by the people that i honor during my service i think they guide my actions and they still guide my actions and i'm aware of that that I'm not completely 
have I don't have everything to do with yeah. the ability to see that. It's always bigger than us. Right. Well, how do you see your role transitioning now? You've had, you know, about two years out. You're across the country from, you know, where where you served previously. So how do you see your role transitioning now? So I, the way that it's transitioned now, and this has been within the past two years, is being a source of, of service, but my service looks more in the role of a salvation and not necessarily to problem solve or to be involved with international policy or failed diplomacy. I think my service looks like a form of salvation because I've navigated this space of healing after service and I I would call myself a, a good case scenario so that's the way that I can be of best service because I can speak to it right and then I ha- I have some expertise now on both experiencing it and being part of an organization that has cracked the code or yeah taken that internet intellectual property that SOCOM had created to preserve the force and the family and taking that and and bringing that out of the military to treat veterans and first responders. So, and this has all been while I'm trying to reclaim my own health. Right. Um, so there's, there's a, there's two things going on here. It's salvation of myself, but a salvation of, of somebody else like the person that I was able to help guide them through some pain and some trauma while I was in, but I also needed to be, I needed to be healthy enough to see it and to hear it and to do something about it. So I've been putting on my oxygen mask first, but I'm also (laughs) there (laughs) to help others that are on this path potentially to recover their own health. How did you get started with shields and stripes and where do you where do you see it kind of moving from here if you could just tell people about what you're doing with that and where you see it going in the future so shields and stripes was an idea that was created from a teammate of mine early in 2019 was that was the interaction that i was having with an old teammate that i served with who was in the process of getting out of the military and was going through the same exact thing that some high performing dudes that are very nervous about the unknown, who you helped me out with that unknown space and how much anxiety and depression and everything's attached to that. I was helping him navigate that space by telling him what I was doing. And he's, he's like, what are you doing? What, what, what are your intentions? What are your, what's your direction? And my direction was to come up with something that could help people reclaim their health. And for me, that was coming up with a business plan that I developed for a, for a business offering or service offering to the private sector for a corporate wellness program that utilize a lot of the holistic care of, of healing, but more along the lines of, hey, this is a return on investment for a company. Investing in a wellness program is gonna get you this return. So that was the idea. And then as I was sharing that with him, I shared with him my process for doing that. So I went and got my master's degree, I got my MBA, and I bought a franchise so I can bootstrap my idea. 
and the way that I was going to execute it was I was going to communicate with one of the premier providers for those type of services in the wellness was specifically within corporate wellness you know the industry leaders that are providing resources to Apple and Google so the idea to go direct with them and say hey I would like to develop a relationship and whether that was a business proposal to them or whether that was just an internship through them to kind of develop develop this a little bit more. My business acumen was complete dog shit. So I had no idea how to really present this in anything other than, you know, this dinner napkin idea that I was able to turn into a business proposal at the University of Texas. But that was the strategy, was to say, hey, I'm trying to reclaim my health. I am on this path of personal healing from service, and at the same time, I'm pursuing X, Y, and Z. Mm. And, and I shared this with him to say, this is my process. It does, it's not everybody's, but I'll tell you, in order to get the care that you need, you're gonna have to jump through some hoops because it is not offered to you once you leave right. the command. So I started sharing all the things that I was doing and it was a lot. <laughs> I was doing a lot of stuff and I recognize now that there's probably some addiction to healing that I, I could have fallen into during a certain time frame, but there was a ton of health benefit and a familiarity with the services that are out there. and. It's not necessarily, you don't have to just go to one place to get the care. So my teammate grabbed that and he said, I think this belongs for veterans and first responders because he grew up in a military household. His father was a service member or a, a police officer. And then he was also actively fighting for his life. Yeah to heal from trauma that he had dealt with from military service. So he really, he he looked at me and he said, that's a whole lot of stuff you're doing, Eric, and I don't think that's very manageable. (laughs) And I would like to create something for, you know, the the veterans and first responders that kind of takes takes away the barriers of going and finding all these resources and then figuring out a way to prioritize it into a probably a pretty problematic life situation that they're in. So that's where, you know, I, I found that he had a, a different direction to go with it. And I said, hey, check it out. Go do it now and I'll be there for you as a partner, as a teammate, as whatever you need me to be to help you do this. And I, that's, that's how I initially was there for him throughout this process. And then now I just show up wherever I'm needed to help get this thing out there to say we have this solution that that we know that evidence-based right you know success within special operations command we know it works and now let me show you why it's important let me show you why it's needed at this level and you know we can go into the suicide statistics or the mental health injuries that veterans and first responders are trying to deal with and and they're not really making a lot of progress in it like no. there's it's it seems to get a little bit of attention but there's not a lot of solutions that are being put out there that have the in, the integrative part of the care which is so necessary yeah. to well, be able that, to and integrate. that's really the piece that's missing right 
Right. Because you can, yeah, there's so many different ways that you can give somebody a peak experience and make them feel real great in person for however long you have them. But then what are you doing after the fact? So that's a part of it that we're trying to communicate to, you know, national leaders to say, this is it. Like, if you're wondering where the evidence-based care is, it is in that integrative arm of things. Right, it is. And how many cohorts have you guys been through now? So we've executed three programs, three what we call hero's journey programs. And a hero's journey is 12 weeks of care. It's three weeks of in-person, nine weeks of integrative telehealth. And we've been able to do three and we're about to execute our fourth model in March of this year in Phoenix, where we will treat another eight veteran and first responder cohort. Awesome. You know what I love about that? I mean, not only are they getting the right type of experience where the whole body, the whole mind, emotions, you know, spirit, they're all being treated at the same time because they're all connected and that's what makes the only type of sense. But they're also going through it with a small group that, I mean, I'm watching them stay connected after the fact and then I'm watching them also be almost like, you know, the new semi-professional uh healer you know and they're kind of spreading it and so i know it's going to compound in other words not everyone will be able to to make it through one of your programs but i think the goodness is spreading you know far beyond just the people that are that are able to so yeah thank you for saying that we we, you're right you're right that there is the model offers it's integrative and i bring up integrative for the post program that we offer, but it's integrative also from the fact that we bring in these subject matter experts from these different backgrounds. So that in itself becomes this integrative holistic approach. But then the other incredible thing that we offer that a lot of other programs are not able to do is the fact that there is some healing that ends up happening through brotherhood and through being recognized for being in pain and when you're recognized it validates and it ends up multiplying what we're doing so we already have a multiple a multiplied effect with our care model but then this brotherhood piece i'm telling you barb when they get in the room with people that aren't in their rank structure right that don't have any sort of immersion into their lives they're far more likely to be vulnerable in that space and all they need is that little catalyst for for us, you know, somebody like me to be in there to say, hey, it's okay to allow this to happen right here. You know, right. the, in, introduce the option to, to work through that. And now when that thing starts moving and, I, and you can almost physically see it move through the space of the cohort, the eight individuals, and the way that they come to support each other during this three weeks of in-person and then like you alluded to right after they leave the program isn't an in in itself a lifesaver right there that that's the thing that ends up being the guaranteed mechanism for some of these people to be able to work through some really really complex stuff is just having eight people or seven people that will pick up the phone at any point and answer doesn't matter what time zone you're on and they genuinely give a about their welfare it's so crazy that some of the best healing 
can come from something as simple as talking, isn't it? But it, yeah. And, and relationship. <laughs> like, people don't want to believe it, you know? And, of course, we all want the easy fix. It's just that there, one does not exist. And, you know, relationships are complex, too. But when you're able to process this, it's the same as, like, you know, your stomach digesting food, right? The more time you give it, like, the more time you give it to digest, which is talking for people it's talking oh yeah then you can actually work through it and get rid of the bad and keep the good because um as crazy as that sounds too like there's there's good that comes from it obviously all kinds of character and desires are built through the difficult situations that we go through so anyway well what advice do you have for someone who feels the call you know, just like you playing with G.I. Joe's maybe back in the day, <laughs> they, they feel the call, but they don't have a model of service. They don't know what to do next. Like, what would what would you say to them? Maybe they they want to serve or they they would like to serve. They'd like to make a difference. But they don't know how to start. I'd say if, any, if anybody's lucky enough to have the call to serve, I don't think that that is it doesn't happen for anybody so you have to be aware of there is a desire and if you can figure that out sooner than later you will cut out so much pain from this search this continuous search for your purpose and and what are you what do you put on this planet to do it all will at some point go back to service so if you get a call to serve that is unique to everyone and it doesn't necessarily look like my service that I'm talking about or somebody else that you have on this podcast. So if you get a call to serve, that is unique to you. It should not be compared against somebody else's service, yeah. but it's also something that every single person will naturally at some point in their life finally figure out that this was all because it's to be of some form of service. Mm. They all look very different, but there's only so much chasing around of other things that you think you wanna do that don't have something to do with service. So if you can identify where your interests lie and you have a call to serve, it probably is important for you to pay attention to that because it's a blessing and if you can figure out what that is you know you you've won the game the 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 game that we're all playing to figure out you know what we're here to do yeah that's it awesome well thank you so much for your time eric it was great talking with you thank you so much barb